Well, it is uh, a great privilege for us uh, to have everyone here uh, this morning for this very special service. Uh, in reflecting on Point Set a Sunday and the significance of what we're doing, I think one of the things that is important is to use this as an opportunity to reflect on how do we want to live our lives and are we ready also, not in a morbid way, but are we ready for the reality that there will come a time for every one of us when our earthly life is going to end? So our, our, how do we live now? And are we ready for the day of our death? What happens after that? How do you prepare yourself uh, for that moment when you leave this world? And so this morning, there's, there's two passages uh, in the Bible that I want us to look at. One really directs our attention to how to live now, and the other directs our attention to how can we be prepared for what happens when it comes time for us to leave this world. So the first one is in uh, a little letter. These are both from little letters near the very, very end of the Bible. So the one is called Second Peter. Uh, Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus, and he wrote two letters to churches. This is the second one that he wrote. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can find it right near the very end, or we'll also have the text come up on the screen behind me. You can follow along as I read. This is 2 Peter very first chapter, I'm going to read verses 3 through 11. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. And as Peter was writing these words in a very special way, uh, God was directing his thoughts, directing his mind. And so what Peter wrote was precisely what God wanted to be written. And so this is not only words from the Apostle Peter writing to the church, it's actually a message God wanted the church to have as well. So it's the very Word of God. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ." Before we uh, consider this passage together and spend some time thinking about the message here, uh, we're going to take a time just to bow in prayer for silent meditation and reflection. So I'll give you uh, just a moment or two to bow with your thoughts and direct them towards God. And after just a little while, I'll lead us together in prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, 
the memory and the legacy of those in whose honor these poinsettias have been laid this morning. We thank you that we belong to a community where people are born and people live and and people die, and yet through friendships and family and relationships, uh, love continues, uh, memories continue and abide, and the impact that people have had on us continues to radiate out in, in a variety of ways. Thank you for the influence that good examples have had in all of our lives. Thank you for the privilege and honor of being able to know some just extraordinarily special people. Lord, we pray that you will help us this morning uh, to engage with each other and with you in ways which are pleasing and honoring in your sight. Help us to strengthen one another. Help us to be able to encourage one another and to spur one another on to really live well. Uh, These poinsettias, in many ways, are a reminder that uh, even if we live a long lifespan here in this world, uh, there is a finite amount of time that we will have. So help us to improve the time. Help us to make uh, the best use of it that we can. And help us to be the people you want us to be. Help us to grow in maturity. Help us to grow in virtue and in utility and service for the world. Help us to live well. We'd also pray that you would help us to be prepared for that day when we leave this world. Uh, We recognize in many ways that we can't really live well unless we're also prepared to die. And so we pray that by your Spirit, you'll help us to be equipped and ready for all things in every time and in every way. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, just a couple of things uh, before I look at this text. We had our Christmas banquet last night here at the church. It's very interesting in many ways. Uh, the one thing, though, that I want to say is this. Eight, seven and a half years ago, we have been my first Christmas banquet here. And at that time, uh, we really didn't have hardly any children whatsoever. We didn't have a youth group. We didn't really have any teenagers. And we certainly didn't have any university students. And now, not only, this is the thing that I was thinking last night, actually, not only do we have children and a youth group and university students, but they're actually a huge part of what goes on here. They're not just here. You're participating, and you are as much a part of the church as anyone. And so I just want to say, I think it's very important to note, we sometimes rightly talk about children and youth as the future of the church and society and they are, but not at the expense of being as much a part of the church today as anyone else. And so for our university students, for our children, for our youth, you are as much a part of the church as anyone, and we're so thankful uh, that you're here. Well, this week also, uh, as as many of you know, many of you were here, uh, we had the, the funeral on Thursday for Jerry Van Holst. Jerry was healthy and active uh, right to the very end of his life, still working as a mechanic and uh, without any underlying health issues that anyone was aware of. Last Saturday, uh, after making himself supper, sat down in his chair, was watching TV, and 
without any sign of duress or struggle, simply slipped out of this life. And Jerry was actually scheduled to carry down a poinsettia today to lay in memory of his wife, Jean. The funeral, as the children shared about what it was like to have Jerry as their dad and hero and role model, an example, one of the things that they said frequently was that he really was someone that you could look up to. He really was someone who led by example. You know, he, he showed how to live. And that's actually something which you know, is, is important in terms of looking for role models, but it's also important in terms of philosophy, you know, theology, religion. One of the great questions in life has always been, what's the best way of living? Like, like what really matters in terms of priorities and values? What are the things that are worth doing? But more important, actually, than what's worth doing is the question is, is, is what is worth being? What's our character supposed to be like? What's the best way of being embodied in this world? What's the best way of living in this world? There's a whole variety of ways, of course, of approaching life, and people have all sorts of different uh, ideas about the best way of living. Here, the Bible tells us that you know, one, of the, one of the finest ways of living is to make sure to prioritize, and not to be apathetic and not to be lazy, but to make sure you prioritize actually growing in virtue. You know, that again, it's not so much just what you're doing, but it's that there's an, an ongoing process inside of your heart and mind and spirit that's leading you to being a better and better person. Now, what's really important to understand, and, and you have to get this, or nothing that Peter says will make sense afterwards, he starts out not by putting all of the pressure and responsibility on us to live a certain way, but he starts out by reminding us that the only way we can actually grow in these categories is because God has done something really special for us. That is, God has acted in love and mercy and grace to give us what we need in the first place, and then we draw on those resources in order to be able to live appropriately. So in verse 3, as we read, it says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And so what we're being told here is, look, God has already empowered his people. God has already given a gift. He's given you everything you need to actually live well. It's a gift to you. It's based on the glory and goodness of Jesus Christ. He's given you great and precious promises that you can draw on. He's not going to let you down. And part of the, great, uh, the greatness of the promises and his gift to you is that he, part of being given the ability to live well is also being given the ability and the opportunity to escape what drags you down. Truthfully, we know, if we just look around, that the world is a really broken place. A lot of lives are fractured. A lot of people are ground down. You know, there's, there's, a, lot of, there's a lot of evil and suffering in the world. And it's fascinating because people are so good in so many ways and so lousy in so many ways. And this has always been one of the conundrums. This has always been one of the paradoxes that, that throughout all of history people have tried to sort out. 
How can people be such, so worthy of dignity and respect, and yet we're so terrible in so many ways too? How can people be so glorious and wonderful and also so horrendous? How can people do such marvelous things for each other and also treat people so badly? How can people literally sacrifice, sacrifice their lives for others and others will, will kill people? How, how do you make sense of the human population? Like, how do you make sense of human nature? Well, I think the biblical example to me or, or analysis is still the very best one of all. Created in the image of God, but through moral choice and responsibility have moved into corruption. And so we are valuable and we have dignity and worth and are capable of incredible goodness because we reflect the image of God. We're also capable of appalling things because we've used the responsibility God has given us to do what is wrong. A couple of weeks ago, I was at Sheridan College. I was asked to come in and do a, do a presentation uh, on why, uh, how Jesus fits into other world religions. How do we understand Jesus given the plurality of religions? So I did my talk, and then there was a, they had pizza, and there was a question and answer period. And, and one of the questions that I, that I got was, do you think that human beings are fundamentally good? That's the question. Do you think that human beings are fundamentally good? Now, it was Thursday of uh, American Thanksgiving. After American Thanksgiving, what, what's the next day? Black Friday. Now, this is fascinating because I actually think there's probably more hype now about Black Friday than Thanksgiving, which is fascinating to me sort of sociologically. Also, what Black Friday does in a lot of ways is it shows the hypocrisy of pretending you were thankful with what you have on Thursday. You know, like, like oh, I'm just so grateful for what I have. You know, I, I can't wait for it to be midnight. You know, it's so like I can go line up outside of a Walmart and trample an old lady so I can get a hundred bucks off a TV. You know, like, it's absolutely insane, you know, the way people respond to these sorts of things. And so I said, well, t- well tomorrow's Black Friday. I said, what's Monday? Because, because obviously one day is not good enough. You know, now we have to have Monday, and Monday's Cyber Monday. And someone put their hand, I don't know if this is true, or if she was kidding, but someone put up their hand and said, yeah, and tomorrow is Small Business Saturday. Has anyone heard that? Like, that's true. Is that true? Okay, so, so you support Amazon on Monday, and, and you support Walmart on Friday, but Saturday you have a nod to the small businesses. So it's small business Saturday. I had no idea. So I'm like, oh my God, this is a fantastic. After we were just so thankful and grateful on Thursday, now we have to have multiple days in which we're accumulating more things. I said, okay, so how about this? Is Sunday taken by anyone just yet? I said, I said no. I said, all right. Sunday? is no police Sunday. This Sunday, the mayor is going to say, whatever you do, no prosecution. We know that everything's going to be totally fine because people are fundamentally good. I said, how many of you go outside on Sunday? What's society like without police and law enforcement for one day? In a polite country like ours, where people are polite and good Canadians. The reality is, we know very well there's something wrong inside of the human heart. We know that. That's why there's police. That's why there's busy. 
That's why they're busy. That's why no prosecution Sunday would be a really, really bad idea. But God's given us everything we need to escape that. Through Jesus Christ, Jesus has come and lived a perfect life. He has given us through his own death, he's paid the penalty for all of our wickedness, all of our guilt, all of our shame. And through his death, he's actually conquered all of those evil powers and forces, external and internal, that drag us down and that ruin the world. And he's demonstrated this through his resurrection, coming back to life. In other words, showing that the love and life of God is greater than death and sin and wrongdoing and brokenness. And so he offers that to us as a gift. You can have this way of living, this this overcoming resurrection life that conquers all of this stuff. You can have that. It's a free gift. And you have it by trusting Jesus. That is, is you commit yourself to him. You see who he is. It's not blind faith. It's in recognition of who he is and what he's done. You say, that's the person to trust. He has demonstrated he is the one to believe in and to follow. He has demonstrated that he is more powerful than death itself. I'm following him. It's not blind faith. It's the most reasonable response imaginable in the universe to who Jesus actually is and what he's done. So we are not trying to make ourselves right with God through what we do, but through what Jesus has done for us, he then gives us the ability to start growing in the goodness of our lives and how we live. So verse 5 says, for this very reason, because of what Jesus has done and made possible, add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. So faith is faithfulness here. It's sort of our, our, it's our, the context of our own morality. That is, you're growing in trustworthiness. People can count on you. You're reliable. Add to that characteristic goodness. Goodness here just refers generically to moral excellence. So be working hard to grow in terms of your moral excellence. All of us have lots of room to grow in these areas. And so we're recognizing none of us are perfect. None of us are close to perfect. There's always course corrections, always modification. There's always things we can be working on. And so Peter says, keep working on that. You know, keep growing in being trust, uh, trustworthy and reliable. Keep growing just generically, generally in moral excellence and virtue. Add to that knowledge. This isn't just uh, intellectual, but it's sort of relational knowledge. It is, it is learn through experience how to bless other people. Learn how to take care of other people. Learn how to be a good neighbor by experience, and not not just by reading books about it. You have to do it. And and so start putting some of these things into practice. It's not a matter of of study to pass an exam. It's a matter of go into life and, and investigate, figure out ways that you can actually be a blessing to other people. To knowledge add self control. The truth is, you can't really bless other people unless you're self controlled. You know, if you're not self-controlled, then you'll be dominated by your own desires and drives and all of the rest, you know, captured by or ensnared or enslaved in all sorts of addictions. And so if you can't control yourself, then you'll always be approaching other people and other things in the world as a means to selfish ends. So you need to be able to sort of move outside of yourself to really put other people first, you know, Jesus taught that the two most important things in all of the world, very simply, are to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. You can't love your neighbor as yourself if you don't have self-control. You can't love your neighbor as yourself if you're sort of bound up in just following your own selfish desires. 
And so we're taught if you're going to grow in moral excellence and learn how to be a blessing to other people, you need to also learn to be in control of yourself to make that possible. To self-control, add perseverance. Uh, this is a word that's often used in battles and in athletic contests in the ancient world. It, means t- it might be really hard, but you keep going. You know, we can fight battles against areas where we don't have much self-control. We, we can fight battles that we lose again and again and again and again. If I, if I could only control my temper, if I could only control my tongue, if I could only control my thoughts, if I could only control my jealousy, if I could only control whatever it is, sometimes it just seems hopeless. You just want to give up. I said, no, no, don't quit. Don't quit working hard at self-control. You, you, you fail, okay, you fail. Well, get up again. It's like in a battle, you know, a, a soldier gets knocked down, well, the army doesn't run away. Get back up. Keep fighting. And you say, well, I don't have the strength. Well, that's the problem. I'm not strong enough. Say, yeah, but, but Jesus has given you what you need. So part of the problem is we're trying to do this all on our own. But God's empowered us to participate in His divine nature. To perseverance, godliness. This simply means sort of piety or, or duty that is just, just properly ordering relationship with God and with others. So godliness, then mutual affection. Mutual affection. This is a term actually uh, that, that was a, a word used in the wider society for sort of clan affection, in, your inside group. You know, you, look, you take care of your tribe, you take care of your people, so you would have affection towards someone who is like you, who is in your little group. It, and one of the things that Jesus teaches so many times is, is you, take that, you take that good and healthy sort of internal group, that affection you feel for people that, that you really get along with, you know, that mutual affection that you feel for people that you really connect with, you take that, and, and instead of saying, this is for us, you say, this is for us, but, but let's widen the circle. So it's not an insider-outsider thing. It's not, oh, we have this beautiful, inclusive, mutual uh, affection, and, and no one else can share in it. it. It's saying, let's take this most beautiful type of relationship and see who else can be drawn into it. You're supposed to increase mutual affection. It's not to exclude it's to include. And to mutual affection, something which is very, very similar, but is the capstone of all of this, is love. This, this greatest of all virtues, loving God and loving your neighbor. And so as you're working, as you're trying to grow, you're not just trying to grow in, in virtue and in duty and sort of you know, have a stiff upper lip and just, just force your will to do certain things. Your aim is for expanding mutual affection and love. That, that's your desire. That's the goal. And so what Peter's doing is he's saying, look, God through Jesus has actually provided a way for you to escape just a lot of the garbage of the world. And frankly... He's given you a way to escape a lot of the garbage that's inside of you. He's calling you out of it. He's calling you into something better. And you can keep growing. You, you can keep increasing in all these things. It's not a static thing. It's not like God gives you sort of a, a certain amount of love, and that's your lifetime supply. He can keep pouring more and more into you. 
It's not like you just have a certain level of self-control and then, then you're just stuck there. No, you can grow in these areas. So we're called to keep striving, keep growing. But if you look at this list, I tell you, this is one of the things I, I often feel, I have to admit, I, I, I sometimes feel like when, I, when I'm sort of representing things in the wider world, that there are a lot of things that actually are just common sense and obvious and really, really good that no one would ever ever dismiss or reject if it wasn't coming from a religious source. But I look at this and I want to say, who could ever have a problem? Who would ever think that a beautiful way of living isn't characterized by faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love? Wouldn't that transform the world if people were growing in these things? Just like the fruit of the Spirit in another letter that that the Apostle Paul wrote, love, joy, peace, patience. I mean, you go through that list and all of a sudden, who could have a problem with that? You know, this is clearly a better way of living than what we have going on in our world today. And and, and even in the church, I mean, as as much as there are a lot of good things happening here, we're, we're not perfect just yet. We still have a, a little ways to go in terms of growth. And that's why I tell you, for those of you who, who aren't regularly here, you know, I, I hope that you have a church community that you're part of. You are welcome here. And, and, and the one thing I'd love, uh, the one thing I absolutely cannot say to you is, you know, become part of things here because we're perfect and we'll help you so much. What I can tell you is, you know, if you come here, you'll find out that we have as many problems as anyone else. But by God's grace, we're trying to grow. That's it. That's, that's all we're trying to do. We're, sometimes people talk about uh, Christianity. I think it's actually a really very beautiful way of expressing it. Like when, when we're trying to point people to God, we're trying to point people to Jesus, we're trying to point people to the truth, all we are are beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. That's all we are. We're as needy as anyone. That's why we're here. That's why we're trying to learn what God wants us to be like. That's why we're trusting in God to work in us because we recognize we don't have it all together. None of us do. And so you come and join us with whatever your background, whatever your baggage, whatever, whatever it is. There's a radical equality when it comes to how we approach God. That's why everyone can only approach God through Jesus. Everyone can only come to God through Him. I was reminded of this this week, actually, some of our imperfections and areas to grow in. Areas we're growing, but still have a long way to go. Uh, Jake has been doing a great job. I put that in your bingo card the last couple of years uh, in terms of working with our youth. And Derek and Mackenzie have also uh, this year especially really uh, poured into the youth and helped the youth group and have just done a phenomenal job. And, and so actually earlier this week, I'm not sure if you got it, she didn't reply, I sent them an email just thanking them for the work that they did. Did you get that? Thank you for not writing back. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, so I wrote them, and I thought, you know, you guys are doing a great job, really appreciate this, the work with the youth. I thought, well, you know, I don't really actually know what they're doing, but I assume it's good. Last night, I discover that what Derek and Mackenzie have been doing is turning all of the youth group against me. (laughs) 
teaching them how to make fun of my endearing mannerisms when I preach. So, we're thankful for you, but you have a lot of room to grow, just so you know. Now, if you do these things, Peter says, you will never stumble, you'll never fall, but you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you keep growing, you're not going to fall. When you start going backwards, that's when it's dangerous. Keep going forward, you're not going to stumble. That's what you're told. And you'll actually not only live a life that's worth living, but you'll actually be ready for the day of your death because you're going to be welcomed into the eternal kingdom. You'll be given a rich welcome. Actually, the language that's used here is of a lavish banquet. This is Christmas at its best. Think of the very best idealized view of a Christmas dinner you could have. That's what this is, and God's the host. He's using all of his bounty to lavish out blessings upon you. You're richly welcomed into the eternal kingdom. That's a place to be. And that's why at a lot of these funerals, one of the things that we we recognize is we grieve for us because we miss the people who are gone. But these people who who had their faith in Jesus, we don't grieve for them because they really are. It's such a cliche, but they really are in a better place. They really are. And they really are better people than when they left. Because as wonderful as, as, as any of them were, they weren't perfect. But now they are. It's important enough to want to guarantee that you're going to make it. And you don't get that there in Peter, exactly. You get it in Jude. So you just turn over just a little bit. It will also be on the screen, just two verses. Jude and Second Peter actually are based on each other in the, in the main part. There's a, a literary dependency, which we, which we won't talk about. But, so they're dealing with the same sorts of issues. And at the very end of Jude, Jude says this. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Now, in Peter, when he says, when you do these things, you will never stumble or you will never fall, it's actually literally the same word. Uh, in, in the Greek language that they were writing in that you find here in verse 24, which says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. So Peter says, if you do all of these things, you'll never stumble. Jude says, guess what? There's someone who can keep you from stumbling. And that's not you, it's God. And so you work. Peter is focusing on our human responsibility. You work, you live, you grow. But Jude is focusing on God's role. And God's role in this is he's not going to let you fall. You trust Jesus, you keep working, you keep growing. He's going to work in you to help shape you and form you into someone who's a blessing in this world. But you're also, you you don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to be okay and whether or not you're going to make it. You are. Because the same God who rescues you at the beginning and then empowers you for life is able to keep you all the way to the end, even through death itself. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. What that means is this transformation process that we're working at in this life, one day it's going to be complete. 
One day it's going to be absolutely fulfilled. God is going to take us at the end of our life when we die and we go into his presence, when our spirit goes to be with him. He is going to look at us in the spotlight of his absolute perfection, in the glory of his own presence. He is going to look at us and he is going to see, because we have faith in Jesus, that we are without any blame or fault at all. He's transformed us completely and utterly. The rescue work is made complete. And you will have great joy. That's a promise. On that day when you stand before the Lord in His presence without fault, you will have great joy. No matter how much pain in this world, that's a day of celebration. And so all the honor... Glory, majesty, power, and authority, it all goes to God. That is, that is, we recognize we don't have the strength on our own to make it. But God has the strength to keep us and to preserve us. God has the ability and the power to get us from here to there without falling, with great joy, and will praise and love Him forevermore because He's God before all ages. Well, I'll tell you very honestly, and if, if you know me well at all, you know this is true. I have a long way to go in terms of growing in these areas. I am not close to having arrived in any capacity, in any sense. The truth is, some of you, a, a good number of you, are further along in these things than I am. But no matter who you are, there's still a lot more room for growth for all of us. So in the same way that God is kind and compassionate and forgiving for us, let's be kind and compassionate and forgiving to each other. And let's help each other. Let's encourage each other. People fall? Okay. It's not great, but it happens. Pick them up. Dust them off. More mutual affection. More love. And we spur them on. We can't change anything that's happened in the past up until this very moment. You can't. But you can move on. You can keep going. You can keep growing all the way through the end of this world, all the way to the end of your life. And then you find that even in passing through death, God's life is greater than human death. His righteousness is greater than all of our evil and brokenness. And through Jesus, we can be richly welcomed into the eternal kingdom because He is able to do it. Well, may God help us uh, to live by the power of the Spirit, by the power of the gospel, uh, to grow, to live well now, and also to be prepared for eternal life after death through Jesus Christ our Lord. Before I ask the musicians to come, I'm going to read one thing. It's very short, but it's very beautiful. Some of you will have this memorized. This is nurturing my... I have about 1% of me is liturgical. So this is nurturing my liturgical side. And no percentage of me is Dutch, but I'm going to draw on a Dutch tradition for it. Heidelberg Catechism. Probably not, certainly not the most famous catechal question. That would be the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question number one. But this may be the most beautiful. Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? 
answer that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. May it be so. I'm going to ask our musicians to come and lead us in our closing song. So, Father, because you've given us uh, the great gift of the ability to participate in your divine nature through Jesus, help us to follow him, help us to know him well, help us to imitate him, help us to grow, and keep us safe, body and soul, through this world until you call us into your presence where we will stand without fault and with great joy, praising you forever. Be with us, we pray. Watch over us as we go, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in grace and peace.